Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. Today I am chatting with Renee Rodriguez. She is actually an amazing person. She took what she learned from her own custody battle with her um, ex-husband to gain custody of so custody of her son um, and trying to help other women so that when they're in a relationship with a narcissist that they can um, use what she's learned so they can gain custody of their own children. So this is a really great episode. Um, Renee is actually going to come back on in the month of March as well. And we're going to talk more about women in divorce. Um, this is a huge episode. It's, it's a, affecting a lot of people. Um, I know a lot of my friends right now are going through similar situations. Maybe not um, custody battles, but they are going through divorces. So this is one that is a really great chat. And I really, really enjoy chatting with Renee. And I am waiting, can't wait for her to come back on again. So, you know what I need you to do right now? That's right. Start listening. Welcome back to another edition of Chats from the Blog Cabin. I am so excited that I am joined today by Renee. She, as you can see by her title, she's a custody coach. So we're going to get into that. But before we get into that, Renee, let's talk about who Renee is as a person. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Shall I just uh, introduce myself, say a little bit about me? Go right ahead. Okay. Um, all right. Well, you know, what's kind of interesting is that my background is actually in performance. I, I have a master's of fine arts in acting from way back when, and I spent um, about a couple decades actually being a professional actress. Um, then I moved from there into directing because I found that I didn't like all that attention, but I liked creating. Um, so I went ahead and became a director moved all over the country to do that as well, started my own theater company in New York City and have sat on the board of a lot of performing arts companies. And, you know, that's kind of like the big part of my adulthood, the big part of what I was doing then, you know, connecting with people in that way. Um, it was kind of an interesting way for me to go because I was actually um, born in Ohio, moved out to California, spent most of my adult life there, and then moved to New York. So it's actually been quite quite an interesting journey, I must say. But I think one of the things about me that sticks out for a lot of people is that I'm a Gemini. So the whole time I was doing all of that, I almost always had a foot in the corporate world, um, working with CEOs of global companies, administration, and I pretty quickly got into strategy when I joined a consulting company. It almost became a study for me at that point. So all of that is kind of this big nutshell of what created Gemini, Gemini Renee. 
So you're a custody coach. What exactly is a custody coach? Yeah, not a lot of people know um, what that is. I didn't know what it was when I found that I needed one. So there are divorce coaches out there um, and they'll help people get through divorces. They will partner with um, the lawyer and the client. A custody coach focuses entirely on child custody battles, um, just dealing with the children, nothing to do with the, with the divorce. So as a custody coach, then that's what I do. I basically take a look at what your case is if you're in a custody battle, and I help you figure out how best to partner with your lawyer. I might help partner with your lawyer, and I'm going through a lot of your materials, your evidence, everything that you're putting together for your case to help you get the custody arrangement that you're that you're seeking. Okay, so so how do women find you? What, you know, do they, do lawyers suggest that they, that they work with you or do they just automatically just find you and say, I need this? Most people have sort of just found me or they've uh, found me through referrals. They found me on the internet, that type of thing. Um, I do work with some lawyers um, who refer people to me, but for the most part, it's people finding me because they're looking up, uh, they're looking up narcissism. Um, I work specifically as a custody coach with parents who are going through a custody battle with someone who is a narcissist. Um, now, I always like to say there's a huge difference between a narcissist and someone who has narcissistic personality disorder, NPD. Um, so, you know, the thing of it is, is that we're all on the narcissism spectrum, there's this spectrum and we're all somewhere in the middle. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to have goals. We wouldn't be able to achieve things and have a healthy ego. Um, then you've got people who are sort of on the extremes, right? But then you've got people who are all the way to the edge of the spectrum. And they actually have something so wrong with them that it's diagnosable. There's no empathy with them. There's a lot of blaming. There's a lot of other things that they're doing that translates to psychological abuse. So those people would be diagnosed as having narcissistic personality disorder. Not a lot of people who have NPD are diagnosed though, because these people tend to not seek help. They don't believe that they need help. Their egos are so high that they feel like who they are is beyond reproach in many ways. So they're not often diagnosed as a result of that. What ends up happening in court is that usually moms, but not always, but statistically speaking, it's usually men who have NPD. Moms are up against someone who is very, very charming. Remember, women don't, women don't date people who are abusive. Nobody dates somebody who's abusive. The abuse comes out somewhere along the way. You meet someone who's charming, who's wonderful, who really gets who you are. And then one day things start to get a little strange, a little off. But, you know, you set it off to the side because everybody's got quirks. Everybody's got a little something. You certainly can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, you're involved. You're married. You have kids. And then the narcissism comes out. The abuse becomes full blown. But you feel stuck women tend to feel like they got to keep that family together and so it's most often women who are at disadvantage when they're in court against someone who has this kind of personality that charming person that they met is the one who is showing up for the judge 
for the court professionals, for the guardian ad litem and the forensics evaluator. But you, the moms, are often showing up still in recovery. So there's a little bit of uh, neurotic personality walking in with you, right? You're trying to tell your story and some of the things that you're sharing, they sound impossible, they sound absurd. Nobody can believe some of the truths that you're sharing because it's like that's nobody would actually do some of the things you're telling me, right? So the moms need a lot of help figuring out how to get through the battle, how to pull the mask, off of the narcissist and show the court who they're really dealing with and what kind of a parent that person really is and to showcase themselves as the healthier parent. And that's where I come in. Can you give us some examples of some of the things that you've run across in your business? Oh, sure. So probably one of the things that I, well, there's really two things that come up the most that I help people with, um, the agreements, coming up with the agreement, and also just um, corresponding with the narcissist. A lot of times, what's very, the common thread, and you see this in the evidence with these emails that the narcissists are sending, um, the common thread really is that they project onto the healthier parent what they are doing who they are. So you can see if you put together the whole body of evidence in a very particular way so that it isn't too much for the court so that they reject all your evidence. If you put it together in a very particular way, the court can see that they're accusing you of keeping them from the kids, but they're the ones who are actually coming up with reasons that you shouldn't see the kids on their time, that you shouldn't see the kids on your own time. Another very common thing that they do, and this is actually something that abusers do quite a bit in court, is they will accuse the mom, they'll accuse the healthier parent of parental alienation. And I gotta be honest with you, Melissa, that's not a term that I like to use because its origins are with a sort of a truly fake psychiatrist who believed in a lot of very strange criminal things sick things really. And he coined parental alienation and it has become a rallying cry for the father's right movement, father's rights movement. Now, I feel that fathers have rights and moms have rights, right? Of course. Mm -hmm. But when you've got a healthier parent and you've got an abusive parent, well, that's where the parental alienation allegation becomes a real problem. So narcissists tend to use that to say parental alienation, by the way, is defined as um, someone turning the children against them, against a parent. I prefer to use the term domestic violence by proxy. Mm. So what they're doing here is they're basically saying, hey, um, when you dropped off, um, you know, little Anita to me, um, she wouldn't talk to me for a while when you dropped her off. Clearly, you turned her against me. Or, you know, Anita said that you were not pleased with the fact that her genes were are too short and are too small on her. Well, you're turning her against me, and you're the one who should be providing clothes that fit anyway, even though they're not the one, they're not paying their child support and they're putting all these legal fees onto the moms, right? Mm -hmm. This is the kind of abuse that comes up quite frequently. Sadly, there's, I, I could fill your ear with the unbelievable amount of allegations that are very common amongst them. And that's the interesting thing about it. When I work with moms and I work with them in groups, I like to have them share the emails they're getting. 
the stories they have to tell because they're all nodding their heads and they're all saying, oh my God, that's exactly the kind of email I get from my ex. That's exactly the kind of threatening, intimidating text message I get from, look, we have the same text messages, you know? So they're sharing with each other and they're realizing that they're not alone. And they're realizing that this is narcissistic personality disorder is a very real problem. And it shows up a lot in court. And so this is where I step in and help these women put together their cases. A lot of these women are not getting the understanding or sometimes not even the help that they should be getting from their lawyers. And they realize that they need to build the case themselves. And that's where I come in to help them build that case. So what's the narcissist personality disorder for people that don't understand what that is? What is that? Sure. So NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, is a cluster B personality disorder. It used to be that there were two of them that were commonly diagnosed, NPD being one of them, but BPD, bipolar being the other. But they are adding other uh, disorders as well, like antisocial personality disorder. Um, and they've got a couple of others they're considering adding as well. So what NPD is, is it's when someone is, as I mentioned before, incapable of empathy. That's the biggest thing. They see the world entirely through their lens. Narcissism comes from Narcissus, which is the sort of the Greek god. The story is that he couldn't stop looking at himself in the mirror. And he was incapable of understanding what anyone else was feeling, what anyone else was, um, what their experience was or what they were going through. So what ends up happening is because they can't fathom what others are experiencing, they become annihilated. They feel annihilated if you start to force a reality onto them that doesn't match up with what they need for their fragile yet huge egos. What's especially interesting about this are two things that I like to talk about. One of them is that they have done brain scans on NPDs who are willing to have them done. And they have found that that connecting piece between the one part of the brain to empathy is simply missing. Mm. And there are a lot of psychologists who firmly believe, and I, I believe it as well, that this, that NPD, when the brain is forming and that piece is missing, it's forming at a time of childhood. So usually there's trauma, neglect, lack of love in their childhood. And then once they become an adult, I mean, there are plenty of psychologists who feel that there are two kinds of people who cannot be helped, pedophiles and NPDs, that there's simply no recovery for them. So that's one interesting thing I like to share with the moms I work with so that they understand you cannot help them, you cannot change them, and it's not something that you did. The other thing that's interesting, I think, about NPDs that plays quite a bit in court is that a lot of them tend to learn what's called cognitive empathy. That means that they can express sympathy. They can express empathy but that doesn't mean that they're feeling it. It's as if they've, they've learned it. The example I like to use with my clients is if you've ever seen the Showtime show, Dexter, mm -hmm. I hope you know that show. Yeah. Um, the lead character is um, someone who lacks empathy and yet everyone sees him as a great guy. 
um, that's cognitive empathy. You've got everyone convinced that you are a great person when in reality you cannot connect. You cannot understand what those other people are truly going through. And what's interesting about the show, Dexter, is that the lead character narrates and he's actually saying, I don't understand how they're feeling this. I don't understand why they're crying. I don't understand. And it's actually an excellent show um, for understanding, like this is what mm -hmm. is going through a narcissist's mind. They don't actually get it, although they can project it out of themselves and they can project things onto others. So who have been some of the examples of narcissists and society? Well, the biggest one is, of course, um, former President Donald Trump, who, um, you know, when he came on the scene and, and whether you voted for Trump or not, I'm not speaking about that. What I am speaking about is the fact that um, I think it was it started out 25 and it may have gotten it may have, more psychologists may have jumped on the boat for this one, Melissa. But um about 25 psychologists wrote a letter saying, look, normally we need to see someone in our office professionally before we can diagnose them. But there are things that check boxes and this guy checks all of the boxes for a malignant narcissist with NPD. Um, so that's actually a, a, a great example. Um, what we saw there is what we see a lot of women going through um, with their relationships, with their co-parents, with their narcissistic co-parents, which is to say that um, you can have absolute proof of a reality that everyone agrees is a reality. And yet that narcissist will very charmingly, very convincingly say, no, that's not the reality. This is the reality. And with repetition, it becomes gaslighting. Right. So an example then with Trump is the, the famous my audience was so huge. And even though there were photos that showed that it was less than what he had claimed, I mean, it was a huge audience, of course, but he was claiming numbers that were not supported by actual mm -hmm. visual evidence. And yet he kept insisting it. And what ended up happening was that a, a number of faction of people actually believed that. And that's that can be what happens in court is that when things are repeated in the face of evidence, these moms can scratch their heads wondering how they're losing their custody battle when they've provided proof um, against the allegations of their narcissistic co-parent. Um, but yeah, Trump is a great example of that. Um, and there are some other examples of suspected narcissists. I know that um, some people have had fits like Alec Baldwin on the set and Christian Bale and when people talk about them, some people will talk about them as being the most amazing, sweetest people they've ever met and they were so good to work with and others will say, my God, they were a nightmare and they were cruel. These are the two faces of a narcissist. Mm -hmm. So there is a strong possibility then that these people could possibly have NPD because um, there are those two faces, the people who will swear that this person, that this dad is amazing with his kids, because of course that's what they're gonna see because they're not seeing it behind closed doors. And then there are the people who are behind closed doors with this person who are saying, it is a nightmare. I'm walking on eggshells with this person. I'm, I'm afraid to speak when they come home. Like my, I just start getting anxious. Moms who, women, strong women, because narcissists are usually attracted to very strong women who have some sort of vulnerability or lack of boundaries in place in some way. So they get in there. Strong women are reduced to having anxiety disorder, panic disorder when they never had it before because of going through a relationship with someone who has NPD. 
Now, is MPD one of the causes of the divorce? That's, that's an interesting question. I would say it's the main cause for the divorce, but you have to look at the layers underneath because we can look at the cruelty, we can look at the abuse. Keep in mind that some people leave these relationships five, six months into it, married, baby, doesn't matter, they get out, they escape. Others, they, it, it can take them, I have a client who's been, who was with her ex for 16 years. Mm -hmm. They can be with them for over 20 years. They're with them for a lifetime, but that's all they know and there are reasons to stay so for me, the bigger question is what's making them stay? Because we do judge women who, how could you stay with somebody who hit you? How could you stay with somebody who said this to you, to your kids? But I think the other piece of what causes the divorce is that as that facade slips and they see who they're dealing with, if enough time goes by, if enough cruelty is dealt out, if the children are hurt enough, then the mom has to kind of say, you know, I see who this person is and there's actually nothing left to love. I'm now staying out of familiarity. I'm staying because I loved this person once or at least thought I did. This person loved me once or at least I thought he might have. Um, you know, the kids, the kids, the kids, the family, my religion, my culture, my family keeps me here. Um, so yes, the NPD is what causes, I think, the divorce and the separation but it was the NPD that drew them in in the first place because there was a facade there that simply wasn't true. A person who they thought they loved who simply didn't really exist. Wow, this this is, it's just blowing my mind that this is happening to women. Now, do you have male clients or is it mostly women that you work with? Um, so I do have male clients and the way that MPD presents in men and women, um, there's a lot that's the same, but then outwardly there are things that are different. But I want to say that I work with them in different ways. Um, with men, I tend to work with them one-on-one -on -one because the male, I do have far less male clients that could be, I mean, partially um, statistically because it's usually men who have NPD. Um, but partially because um, when it comes to this type of coaching, I think that men are more likely to seek men and women are more likely to seek women. But the other reason that I work with them differently is that I work with women as part of a group that I have the Custody Warriors um, Blueprint Program. It's only women who are going through that program right now because even if I have a male client who's just you know, these men obviously are great dads. They're amazing. They need help with their narcissistic co-parent ex-wives. But for women, um, there's usually more likely, usually more likely to be physical abuse. And so even the nicest guy in the world in the group with them can be triggering for women. Mm -hmm. um, women tend to seek you know, female therapists, females of any kind to be around, whether they realize it or not, um, because of that triggering sense. Because remember, the NPD can be quite lovely. They can reel you back in. You can be trauma bonded to them, right? Because you're kind of like, oh my God, thank God. There's the man I fell in love with. And anyway, thank God that this person I live with is finally being kind again. Let me take as much of this as I can get, right? Mm -hmm. But then that twists back into cruelty at any given moment for just the slightest of reasons. So it can even be triggering to be around a normal male. 
So for the program, I work with women in groups and that's very helpful for them. Um, and um, for one-on-one, -on -one, I work with men one-on-one -on -one, and I work with women one-on-one -on -one as well, but that is how I work with men is one-on-one. -on -one. Okay, I wanna pause right there. We'll, we'll come back and talk about your Custody Warriors Blueprint program, but we're gonna do a brief commercial. Sounds good. Schools closing their doors again this year due to the COVID-19 pandemic is devastating for students, parents, and educators. Beyond that, it has disproportionately challenged low-resource school systems, further revealing educational and health inequities among communities. Teachers and parents are searching for tools that will enable schools to reopen, but many of these solutions are expensive and time-consuming. To ease the magnitude of challenges faced by high-need school districts, we can provide a simple solution that has a deep impact. I'm Della, the founder of Nestle Space. Nestle provides easy, beautiful, health-centered design that adapts to any environment. We design products that are attentive to bodily experience, emotional health, and ergonomics, including our portable, touchless handwashing station. Our handwashing stations bring running water anywhere with an outlet, accompanied by ergonomic design. Because no plumbing is required, our portable stations can be placed in classrooms, gymnasiums, lobbies, libraries, and beyond. The CDC has identified handwashing as a critical mitigation measure for schools during the pandemic. However, as evidenced by the high number of schools that have reached out to us over the last six months, many schools do not have prolific access to running water in classrooms and in other areas which they need to repurpose as classrooms in order to increase social distancing during the pandemic. We know schools are short on resources, dollars, space, and time. We can help, but we need your help to do so. We'd like to supply our Nestle Kids handwashing stations at no cost to selected public schools in need. Our first goal is to distribute these to 10 school districts. We are asking for your help to simply cover our production and shipping costs. Together, we believe we can help students more safely return to where they thrive most, at school. In these crazy times, we thank you for considering this and for your generosity. We believe that by helping support each other, we can make a positive impact in a very hard time. Again, thank you for your support. We hope you and yours stay well. And we're back. Well, now let's talk about your Custody Warriors Blueprint program. How do people get involved in that? Do they contact you? Do they have to fill out an application to get involved or what? Yeah, so um, in order to get into the program, they do need to fill out an application. And then I have um, a strategy session, a call with them to ensure, well, uh, truthfully, two things. One, to make sure that they are indeed the healthier parent. So to get to the root of what's going on with them. And the other, to make sure that we can help them. Um, and then we get them started. We get them going in the program. So is this local or is it all over the country or? It's actually, yeah, thanks for asking. Um, you know what? We serve people in Canada, the United States, the UK and Australia. The family court system is the same across the board. Uh, obviously there are some differences and we, we work with those. Um, we know those, but um, truthfully, they're all looking for the same kind of evidence. They're all looking for it to be presented in the same way. They're all looking at you through the same lens. Um, so that's that's what we 
that's what we help the moms with. And so you, like you said before, it's more of a group for the females. Like the males yes. more one-on-one. It is. The males are more one-on-one, although I am slowly being persuaded to start a separate program um, for the males. So that may be coming up at some point in 2021. But for now, it is just moms. So when did you create this program? So it's it's kind of interesting. Um, I myself um, went through a custody battle and um, my co-parent was diagnosed with NPD. Um, So when I left him, um, I had to spend a few months just trying to figure out what was what and lift myself um, from the brain cult, you know, the the brain fog of having having experienced what I did and figure it out. Um, When he was diagnosed with it, I looked it up and then everything became clear and I was on the road to recovery far more quickly. Somewhere along the way, as I was looking up, um, right before I found the person who helped me recover, um, I had been trying to figure out why I couldn't seem to recover from what clearly was mental abuse. All of the mental abuse and psychological abuse resources that I was looking at, yeah, they helped a little, but I could tell they weren't really hitting the right place. There was something I was missing. And someone came up, I saw somewhere on the boards, this was a while back before, now I feel like narcissism is everywhere, right? But at the mm-hmm. time, someone had mentioned it, and I thought, that's interesting. And I looked that up and everything, I talk about checking all the boxes. And then soon after that was when he was diagnosed with it. Well, I went deeper into NPD and um, used my psychology background and basically my strategy background, all kinds of things. And I ended up with two resources and one of them became my custody coach. Um, When she became my custody coach, my case completely changed. I'm a smart person. I have resources. I'm a strategist with that psychology background. Um, I was an administrator for many years. I had a lot of stuff in place. I had a lot of ducks in, in, you know, in a row, but I could, I just, I could tell that I couldn't quite understand everything. And I knew that that crucial piece of, are they going to see through him? How do I really present my case? My lawyer was great. Everybody agreed he was great, but something was missing. My custody coach completely, I absolutely credit her with why I ended up with the custody arrangement that I wanted. Hands down. She's the reason that I came out with full physical and legal custody. Um, She was able to help me figure out how to present everything I've been saying, how to present myself, how to present my evidence, how to meet with the court professionals and how to appear in court. Um, So somewhere along the way, when you do a custody case, if it keeps going on long enough, um, and sometimes it starts at the beginning, but not always, there will be a custody evaluation, sometimes known as a forensics evaluation, a 730 evaluation, there are different terms for it, depending on your jurisdiction. When you have that evaluation, 85 to 90% of judges will go with whatever the evaluator recommends for the custody award. That's that's even if you go through a whole trial in front of the judge, that still 85 to 90% of them are still just going to go back to what the evaluator recommended and go with that. Mm. When my coach told me that I needed to nail that eval, I sat down and I pulled deep into what I know about strategy, what I know about analysis, and what I know about psychology. 
and I just put something together because she said, just, this is not really my, my forte. I know people who are, there are a couple of eval coaches, but they're full. So let's see what you can put together. When I came back to her and I said, this is what I'm going to present. She said, my mind is blown. She said, I've never seen anything like this. I have to show this to the eval coaches I know. And she came back and she said, nobody's ever seen anything like this. I've never seen anything laid out this clearly for the evaluator in my life. She said, you have to do this. You have to switch from the coaching you're doing now. And you have to start coaching other women and help them. And I was kind of like, okay, slow your roll because I got to get through my own custody case, you know? Um, but a couple years later, you know, I mean, I've always been a deep diver into knowledge and I found myself dedicating. Um, I worked with my brother, who's also a psychiatrist. I worked with a bunch of other psychiatrists. I'm like, I need to dig deeper into what I know about psychiatry and psychology, what I know about court. And I need to figure out how NPD fits into this and learn everything I can about how family court works. So. I ended up switching. So after my custody battle was done and I took a breath for about a year, I ended up starting to just help people um, because uh, I had people in my recovery group who were kind of like, I got to get that blueprint. I was all like, here's the blueprint, here's the blueprint, here's the blueprint. Um, then I was helping people one-on-one and um, everybody was getting exactly the custody arrangement they wanted. And I felt like I'm only helping a person at a time. Mm -hmm. How do I stretch this out? Um, that's when I grabbed um, a business coach and I said, I think my business of helping women, I, I think it can be more impactful. I want to help more women at a time. And he said, well, geez, you have this teaching degree. You have this psychology. You have like all these pieces. And I feel like you were meant to put all these pieces together to actually just create a program. Because if you're telling everybody the same thing again and again, that's your program. And then you can help each of these people individually with their specific cases, their specific jurisdictions, their specific co-parents, and what's going on specifically with their kids. In other words, their family. And so the program will allow everybody to get all the information and then for you to help them and you're helping more women all at once. And I said, well, that's my jam. And so um, I started my program and, um, you know, I, the response has been terrific and it feels so great to help so many more people at a time. So how many people do you employ? Because obviously you can't individually help every single solitary person, you know, that comes through. So you have to kind of delegate or you will totally, you know, just be like exhausted all the time. Yeah. So, well, so <laughs> um, right now there's really only four of us, um, but I am planning to expand once. Um, honestly, I'm planning to expand. Remember, I'm a single mom myself. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not planning to expand too much, although I, I'm planning to bring on about three or four more people. Right now I have three other people who work with me. Um, once my kid is in school five days a week <laughs> and I'm not helping to um, teach him, then I know I'll have the time to really lead a fuller team. Um, but for now, um, basically there's a consultancy and a PA. So I consult lawyers. I consult a, a particular lawyer. Um, I have a divorce coach for the pure divorce stuff where if there's anything unique that comes up every once in a while. Uh, we don't necessarily have to address that, but sometimes I like to see if there's a little something there that can lend itself to the
the custody fight as well. Um, and then there's a parenting coordinator who I partner with um, to just kind of have advice for special situations and come in. Um, there is, I think, I just spoke last week with a woman who does um, contracts and paperwork who um, is probably going to be the next person I bring on mm. because um, it's not, it, this would be an added service because usually with the coaching, what we're really helping them do is present their case. But what I find is that a lot of women stall and procrastinate because of the paperwork piece of it in mm. the first place. And I thought, man, that is lost time for me to be helping them gather documentation that they're missing out mm. on, gather evidence, figure out how to put things together. Because sometimes these court appearances and hearings, there can be emergency hearings that that they're just not ready for. Mm -hmm. So I'll probably be bringing that person on to help women with their paperwork so that they can get going right away on building their case, either partnering with their lawyer or going pro se or pro per, which means that they are representing themselves. So how old are your kids? So I have a little one who is eight years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you managed to create a whole business out of your, how long has you been divorced? How long have you been divorced? So I ended up with the help. I want to, I want to give a shout out to the DV hotline, the national hotline, because they were the person, they were the, they were who I called when I realized that the, um, uh, verbal and psychological abuse might be turning into something physical. Um, they were finishing my sentences. Um, they said, you know, because I called them saying, how should I, I feel so lost. How should I talk to him and tell him I'm leaving? They were like, based on what you're telling us, go now while he's at work. Um, mm -hmm. So they were, um, they were kind of a, a, a big help for me, but my son was only five months old then when mm -hmm. I left. Um, my custody battle was three and a half years long, um, which is not uncommon. People always think, and even their, your lawyers will tell you, it's going to be like six months to a year. And that's just not the reality. Um, so the sooner, thank God I found my divorce coach when I did, or it would have been even longer. Um, but uh, yeah, so I've been, I've had the company for about five years. Um, the program I actually started um, just about, at this point, it would only be six months ago. So I used COVID to kind of sit back. And I think I had so many relatives and friends who said this, where it was like, you really kind of looked in the mirror and said, oh my gosh, what do I really want? What What's really important to me? And when it came down to it, I thought, you know, I've been wanting to do this and I've been planning this and I've had the outline for this for over a year and a half now. There's no reason that now isn't the time to do it. So I went ahead and invested in the resources and brought the people on to make it happen. Um, and the results for everyone have been so quick and so instant and the anxiety has risen away from them so quickly that I do wish I'd started earlier, but I mean, we always wish that, don't we? Yeah. Um, yeah. And basically I like what you said when you contacted me about coming on custody agreements that are best for the child. I mean, honestly that's where everybody needs to remember is what's best for the child and it's not what's best for the parent that's absolutely right one of the things during the screening uh, phone call the strategy session that i have with moms is that um you know when they're talking about working with me i say to them i say i need to be very clear with you um you may be the one who's paying me and yes in that way you're my client but your children are who I'm advocating for. And there are moms that I've had to say to them before I say it, I say, listen, I'm on your side, 
but I'm going to tell you this right now. You need to stop the way you're doing this because it's not helping your kids. Or I'm not sure you do want to go this way because I'm not sure it's best for your kids based on what you're saying. Now, do I bring them on if I don't think I can help them? No, because they are up against NPDs and they do need a change in their case. But sometimes, you know, you're feeling really angry, really resentful, and we really do need to figure out what's best for the whole family and not just not just you. The majority of the time, what you're seeking is the right thing, hands down. Mm -hmm. But as we go along the way, sometimes we have to tweak things. And one component of my program that I feel really differentiates me from other custody coaches um, is that there's a whole section of the program that is about your mental state. And this is where we really look at, is it possible that you're accidentally engaging in domestic violence by proxy, otherwise known as parental alienation? Is it possible that you might be bad-mouthing your ex? Because listen, no matter how much your ex sucks, and some of the stuff that some of these co-parents do, it's hard to hear, and it's very easy to want to help these moms. It's very easy to help them. But by the same token, kids see themselves as half one parent, half the other most of the time. And one of the things that's really, that was very hard for me to swallow at first, that I had to come to terms with is, there are kids who are, it's so hard for me to even say this and it's hard for me every time I hear it, but they can be beaten into the hospital and they still wanna see that parent. You have to think about what is that connection, what's healthy about that connection, what's unhealthy about it, how do we get the help for your kids that they should have, and how much access should that parent have? Would it behoove them to still have access but supervised visitation so that they're only getting the best of their of their parents, of their dads? Mm. Because remember... These people can turn on the charm as quickly as they can turn on the cruelty. Well, if it's supervised visitation, then perhaps, maybe not always, and that's something we need to investigate, a supervised visitation could allow that child to deal with what they're feeling and figure out things for themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So in the end, we're always looking at the kids as what's most important, and we help the mom through that entire section that's about mental state. We help them with anxiety. We help them with panic attacks because if you have a panic attack on the stand, you get really messed up in court and it doesn't look good and you end up proving all of your exes, she's so crazy, she can't handle the kids' allegations, right? And a lot of times what we're doing with moms is trying to undo what they accidentally did on the stand thanks to anxiety and panic disorder that was caused by PTSD from being with their abuser with the NPD, right? Mm -hmm. So that mental, when we talk about mental state, when we focus on the warrior's mental state and we say noble warriors, because we're not trying to annihilate anybody, but as a noble warrior, when we're focusing on your mental state, we're focusing on anxiety and panic, we're focusing on recovery and helping you figure out what that needs to look like for you and to help you find those resources. And it also means how do you parent? Now you're a single parent. Or maybe you're part of a new blended family, but how do you parent and how do you co-parent? Because the courts want to see you co-parent, no matter how crappy your co-parent is. Mm -hmm. So they want to see, are you collaborative? 
are you somebody who's at least trying to get along with your ex, no matter what they're throwing at you over text and over email and through the kids? And meanwhile, you're documenting all the bad stuff because that's the stuff that doesn't just help you. That's the stuff that helps the kids. That's where the guardian ad litem, otherwise known as the child lawyer, the minor's counsel, the friend of the court, whatever the term might be in your jurisdiction in your country, that's where they can come in and help is if you're documenting and you're showing even when I am a sane, normal, healthy co-parent to this person, this is the vitriol that they are coming back at me with. This is what the kids are saying when they come home from visiting from parenting time with their NPD parent, with their disordered parent. That's where that GAL, that guardian ad litem comes in to help. That's where sometimes CPS, DFCS, whatever it's called, the um, protection services mm -hmm. in your jurisdiction, that's where they come in as well. But we make sure that they're involved where they need to be because it is about the kids. Wow. So if a, if a girl is, or if a woman, excuse me, not a girl, if a woman is going through custody, what are some of the first steps that they should take? Because actually, I have some friends right now that are actually going through custody battles right now. Document. Document. It's the absolute first thing I'll say, and you can never stop, even when your course is, um, excuse me, even when your case is done, because they may try to litigate again. The NPD may try to litigate again. Um, but you document. You um, you can go online easily and find um, a custody log. Um, obviously, that's something we provide in my program, a very detailed visitation log. But if you want to start simply, you can even just journal each day. Just write down, um, you know, everything that's going on, all of the nasty emails and text messages. That is the number one way to win a case. You're coupling, basically, the three pillars of my program are strategy, evidence, and mindset. So you have to have a strategy, and that strategy is born from a combination of your mindset, the mental state, and your evidence, which is your documentation. You have to hold on to everything, reports, report cards, um, statements, emails, text messages, audio recordings, um, witnesses, um, parent, uh, excuse me, teachers, emails, coaches, emails, anything that's pointing to the disordered parent's personality, their, their true personality and the things they've done that are just not working for your family. You've got to have all of that. And you've got to have it organized in a very particular way, which is where my program does come in. Um, because I've seen a lot of moms go in with a thick sheaf of very relevant, very compelling evidence. And it's not looked at because it's not put together the right way. And it has been mm -hmm. considered irrelevant. It has been written down and in the transcript, it's been stated to be irrelevant evidence in spite of what they brought in because of the way they brought it in and because of the way they presented it. Um, and that's basically the reason that I started doing what I was doing is because of how often that happens, even with the help of their lawyers women will come in and just present a big pile of evidence um, because it's mixed in with stuff that isn't relevant. It's mixed in with, I mean, there's a whole bevy of things I could go into, but the other th big tip that I give moms that I give parents who are co-parenting with any disordered co-parent 
You have to stop texting. It is the worst thing you can do to yourself for your case. The only time you should be using text messages is to say, hey, we're here, we don't see you. Or I'm stuck in traffic, looks like we'll be 10 minutes late. Stuff that is immediately applicable. Nothing else should be over text. It should be emailed. Nothing else should be over text. And the reason, there's two reasons why. The first is texts either are or appear emotional. When you have to text someone, it means you're responding right away, which is too quick when you're up against a disordered parent. You got to give it space. You do. The other thing is, is that it looks emotional. <laughs> Even if you, if you look at the same thread, I've given this example to my clients, if I, the same thread where they're being vitriolic and you're just responding, if you look at it set up as an email and you look at the same exact text set up as, as text messages, the text messages read as more emotional. And most of these narcissists like to paint their co-parents, the healthier parents, as being too emotional. And they whip out these text messages. And even when you whip them out and you think they're going to help you, they're actually hurting you. Mm -hmm. um, the other reason is because they're too hard to read. And so even if it, there's some great evidence in there, most courts are like, I can't tell who said what, which color are you, which side are you, which this. Whereas emails clearly says who sent it, clearly said has a timestamp and when and that type of thing. And that is much stronger for you to present in court. Wow, that's some great tips. Do you have anything else that you wanna share before we hop off? Um, gosh, um, you know, I will say that uh, when it comes to your custody agreement, this is the other big thing that we sit down and we go back and forth so much with our clients until we get exactly the right settlement agreement, because you do want to settle. You don't want to go to trial if you can help it, especially if you have an eval in your hand that's in your favor. Because remember what I said earlier, 85 to 90 percent of judges are going to go with that, whatever the eval recommends anyway even if you go to trial. So don't go to trial trying to be validated or vindicated, okay? Try to settle. And so the, the back and forth that I do a lot with my clients is your settlement agreement needs to be so detailed. Do not use the boilerplate agreements when you're working with a narcissist because they find loopholes, they reinterpret everything, they revise things, they they find reasons that things don't mean what they should mean and are obvious to the rest of the world. My best example is of how often I've seen people say the vacation will be one week long and of how often a narcissist has come back and said, well, that's 12 days in this case because of the timing of it. And everybody knows that a week is seven days. And yet a narcissist will argue, well, in this case, it's 12 days because and the headaches continue. So the number one thing I recommend with your settlement agreement is they cannot be too specific. Have your pickup times, your drop-off times, define what a week is, um, define what everything is. And just keep in mind in the end, as make it as tight as you can, but you need to be able to live with it as well. So have the flex where you need the flex, but try to be as specific, as tight as you can. Wow, you've given us a lot to think about, especially with the custody agreements and and dealing with people like this. And honestly, I would love to have you come back on and just chat about some of the cases that you've 
that you've shared um, that you've had people to success of the cases, because honestly, I honestly don't think people, women even realize that they need to be that prepared when they go into court. Yeah. It's um, you know, a lot of what I'm working with my clients on um, many times, not all of them, obviously, but there are clients who come in in the middle of their cases because they're all like, I'm losing and I don't know how or why, because I had full custody and now I'm the one with visitation. What happened? Mm -hmm. And when I look at it, it was from mistakes in their first and second court appearance. And it breaks my heart to have us because it's much harder to undo things. Um, it can be done. It can be done with a lot of work, but I would be more than happy to come back and share cases because again, what people say is, oh my God, that's exactly how my case is going. That's exactly who my co-parent is too. Wow. So where can people find you at? Uh, the easiest way to find me is um, I did notice that you had um, my website up, but for those of you who are listening, um, uh, what's a simple way um, is custodycorner.com will redirect you to me. Uh, forget the www, just put in custodycorner.com um, and that'll lead you to me. If you're on Facebook and you want to get tidbits of advice here and there when you're going through something, find Custody Empowerment. Custody Empowerment is my Facebook group, which I only just started. And in that, um, we are all about your custody case. We're not about complaining or anything. And so basically, I put a lot of advice there, um, relevant articles and case studies in there that could help you, especially if you're going pro um, pro se or pro per. Um, you can also find me as best foot forward on Instagram and Twitter, but I'm most active on Facebook and again, custodycorner.com. All right, guys, Renee, I want to thank you for coming on and I definitely do want to have you come back on and talk about what you, things that people can and shouldn't do for custody cases and yeah. should do for custody cases because that's very important. Sure. Yes, it is. It's it's crucial. These are kids' lives. These are your lives, you know. For sure. So, yeah. guys, we will see you on the next chat for the blog cabin. Bye. Thanks, Melissa. I hope you guys really enjoyed this chat with Renee. I absolutely am like with all these women and all these people that I've been interviewing for this podcast one thing that always comes out across um is that they're taking what they learn and they want to share it with other people which is amazing i'm totally amazing um and so i actually after i chatted with renee um i actually sent forward information to one of my friends who's actually going through a custody battle right now and said hey you know this person may be a great resource for you to reach out to to see how she can help you so honestly i put in the show notes her information if you are interested in contacting her and i love the fact that she created this business out of COVID. Um, during COVID, it's really something that you have to commend people who take the bad and turn it into something positive which is you know, basically i've done this with the podcast as well and on that note i want to thank you for being part of the podcast family please subscribe like rate review wherever you listen to and i hope you have a blessed day and remember keep chatting